I've, yeah. I've pushed record, by the way, so don't say anything about anyone you don't want to be recorded. Okay. Um, <laughs> but you can give us one thing before we start race, and that is today's safe word. What's your safe word? Um, grapefruit. I'll have a follow up question. <laughs> Welcome back to What's Your Safe Word? I'm Amp, and today I have the lovely pleasure of a guest giving daddy's voice a break, but also just getting into some fun topics. Race. Race Bannon. Hello, Race. How are you doing today? I am doing really well. Thank you for having me. Why grapefruit? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, uh, the last time I actually used a safe word with someone, that was the, the safe word they used. Okay. So that's why I said it. I actually normally, I don't play with gags and things that much. So people can usually just say whatever they want to me. And I don't use it. You know, I don't pick a safe word. Yeah, yeah. But the last time I did, it was grapefruit. So well, there's gonna be lots of gags today, and I, <laughs> I, I, I promise it'll only be uh, verbal and maybe a little bit of visual for our, our visual listeners. Um, but race, you are. I, I, there, there's plenty of things that you are. Um, but I'll stick to the PC ones, which is an <laughs> activist, a writer, a producer, a, a gay, a gay. Um, hi, gay. Did, <laughs> did you see that meme? No. Do, do you I follow didn't. memes? Not, not that much. Okay. A little bit. Okay. Um, but is there anything I'm missing in that? Because you, you are, you're a profound person. And the reason you're here today is because I was researching for a, a video and you just kept coming up in a bunch of articles. Oh. Um, but what am I missing there? What, what, is, what are you passionate about right now? Uh, I, I'm passionate about writing a lot. I, I, and I, I write a lot about sexuality, but I'm writing about a lot of other things too. I'm passionate about that. Uh, I am passionate about education generally and how we educate people, which is one of the reasons I'm such a fan of What's the Safe Word. Stop. Uh, it's true, and and this is not planned because we didn't talk about this, but I point oh everybody to What's the Safe Word when they want to know something about kink, and it is my go-to um, recommendation. And it doesn't matter whether they're gay, straight, or whatever. I, I point them to What's the Safe Word, and that was not planned. Amp did not prompt me on that, but that's oh exactly how I feel. Oh my God, I've I've been I've been doxxed. I've been <laughs> I've been put on the spot. Well, thank you, Race. I appreciate that, and I always point people towards your edge. You have so much you have so much content on the internet that I think sometimes people don't even realize how involved you are in the community. Um, but you're just a, you're a very good writer, and you have such a, a depth and breadth of knowledge on not only the kink community but just like the gay community in general. You know, um, and and we'll get into some more of that, but like. Even we, we had breakfast before this, and it's just one thing after another that I'm just, I wish I had a, a, a microphone at all times sometimes when I'm talking <laughs> to some people. Like Christopher, because of the things he says, they're just so outlandish and hilarious. But like you, for just the the information and the history to the community that I I won't I won't ever have as as a as a younger gay quote unquote younger gay although I've been called daddy recently and and uh, I'm getting up there apparently in age so goodbye knees uh, <laughs> we were yeah we were talking about it right <laughs> yeah I, well I'm a lot older than you I'm gonna be 67 next week oh it's your birthday it's my birthday next week yes um so oh I'll my be, god this I, is going on on your birthday everyone go go give Ray some happy birthday messages on the social media then oh cool yeah I like happy that. birthday yeah thank you. What's the day, just so I know? July 25th. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's my birthday. Um, so yeah, I'll be 67. And so I've been around the block a few times. And <laughs> <laughs> we, we, took a, we took a spin around the block a few times. We did. Um, but the reason that you came up in my mind and, and popped into my mind recently is because we were doing a, a, a video on curious kinks. So like kinks that, and not to be slut-shamey or stigmatizing whatsoever, but actually the opposite of just like, Asking people anonymously what they were into um, that, that they thought was kind of quote unquote weird because I think we're all we all have that that stig that internalized stigma or phobia around the things that we're into. Like, have you ever had like you were just jerking off to something and immediately you finished and you were just like, oh, I'm disgusting. You know, <laughs> I, I don't. I'm sure I have those, but I have an odd one that a lot of people don't get, and that's eyeglasses. People in glasses turned me on. And I think I imprinted on my math professor in college who had wire rims and I was boinking him on the side. And oh. um, yeah, it's another story. But um, I, I, for some reason, if you put two equally hot guys next to each other and one's wearing glasses, I'm probably going to go for the guy in glasses. 
Yeah, okay. No, I, <laughs> I just, no, I get it. I mean, that's not disgusting or weird or wrong, you know, but it's, no, but it's but curious. It's, it's different. Yes. It's different. And so like we were doing the episode and actually someone came up during the episode, which I think will be live about the, the same time this goes up. Uh, if my timing is right. And someone was like, I have this, this fetish. They said fetish for um, people that just have a slight like cross-eyed because I had a roommate that I also wanted to, you know, fuck and nothing ever happened, but they were just so attractive. And because of imprinting, which is a, a way in which people's fetishes can come up, there's a number of different ways, but because of imprinting and a little bit of like the, the taboo around it, I just find that super hot nowadays and not in a, not in a dehumanizing way. Like I just think people are really cute. And I was like, I get it. You know, I, I get know, it. it. It shows you that there is a lid for every pot. And Aww, it's true. That's beautiful. It's true. That's, it is. Um, and, and that's why when anybody ever has um, something that, you know, oh, I've got a little bit of a belly or I, I'm smooth or I'm hairy. Come on, bellies. Or I'm, yeah. There's, I said, there's always someone who likes that. Always. So um, so for the eyeglass wearers out there. <laughs> Call race. He's looking for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, so the, the episode, I think was it was such a fun episode to film and funny in its own way. But like we just talked about the different ways that that fetishization and kinks come about because there is a difference between kink and fetish. Yes. But also because of that conversation, we talked about the DSM and how like we've destigmatized paraphilic disorders over over the years. And I believe it's 2013, if my years aren't wrong, that we actually got the DSM updated. And of course, your name came up a number of times within that conversation because you do so much activism around just being open about and talking about and, and, and using fact instead of like fallacy and using scientific evidence over um, reactionary, you know, evidence. Um, I'm curious how you got into just talking about sex, sex education, writing, like what was your, your spider bite in that regard? Uh, I was very much a lone wolf from the time I was been going to leather bars since I was 17 underage. <gasps> so, and I've been actively kinky um, since the, I actually before that with, with boys, my own age, that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> um, but um, uh I, I was a lone wolf and then I moved to Los Angeles. I was in New York. I was a lone wolf there erotically. And then I moved to LA and I went to a play party that was hosted by Avatar Club Los Angeles. Oh, we love Avatar. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was actually a member for a while. And, but I, I went to this party cold. I didn't know anybody. I grabbed some guy there and began to play. And I'm a very focused player. And about an hour later, I happened to look behind me and there's like 40 guys watching me play. Wow. And after, you know, I'm done with the scene and, and after care and the whole thing, um, somebody walks over and said, where did you learn to do that? And I don't even remember exactly what I was doing actually. <laughs> and um, I said, I don't know. I just learned it on just learned it by watching and doing. Mm -hmm. And they said, could you teach us how to do that? And, um, I believe it was some rope stuff, which I'm actually nowhere near as good as some of the rope people are now. But, and, um, and that's how it began. I taught that one class and then it just stuck and I just kept teaching and then I started to write. And, yeah. yeah. So that's how I started. Huh. Yeah. I, I actually, I mean, my spider bite was like getting tied up as a kid, like during the cops and robbers games that you would play as like a, a, a kid. Like that was my spider bite to like being into kink, but like yeah. being into educating i think mine was very similar i just read a bunch of books or watched a bunch of porn and i was like how can i replicate that not and then would start tying people up and then go to like bars you know fetish night and people were like can you teach a class and i'm like no <laughs> no why why do you want me to teach you something i don't know how to, what i'm doing i'm just i just i just read the safety stuff the manuals and like watched porn <laughs> yeah i I was doing kinky things with kids my own age when I was eight and nine. Um, I actually oh, wow. had a regular spanking partner who I would spank. Um, uh, I was eight and he was nine. Um, wow. Yeah, and we did that once a week about for two, three years. Um, yeah, I, huh. I was really early into um, spanking, tying up, just... That was uh, when we would play games like tie people to trees. Yeah, we would do it as a game, quote unquote. Yeah, but for me it was obviously more than that. <laughs> and that's how. And again, we're not condoning this. Obviously, like 
as, as children, like children should be in the kink. No, kid, no, no, can't no, consent. No, no, like no. I just need to, I need to be very clear about that yeah, because no. otherwise people will be like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're talking about I this. I totally and, get it. But and these were always kids my age. They, these were just, yeah. You know, kids are curious, yeah. you know, and like looking into the stats just as an anecdote, like I think it's like 80% of, of kids under the age of eight have seen porn or looked for porn in some way because we don't oh. tell them or talk about, and my, my stats are probably wrong, but like there's a large amount of, of kids under the age of 10 that are seeing pornographic imagery, whether they're looking for it or not, because the internet exists and they don't know how to deal with that because we don't teach sex education. We don't yeah. talk about porn literacy, which I, I think teens and as you get older should have, because like I'm smart enough to know that like kink.com porn is fantasy, not reality. But, but if I had been exposed to that at a younger age on accident, um, I wouldn't have known what, what was happening between those two guys, you know? And you would assume that the porn is real. Exactly. Words, you, exactly. Would, you would want to copy it. And yeah. often you should not be copying Correct. porn because mm -hmm. it's fantasy. It's porn. It's what it's supposed to be. So, yeah, I, I came out in an era where we didn't have a lot of that. There was. Oh, you didn't have YouTube. You didn't have Twitter. No. You didn't yeah. have. But you had the internet at some point, right? At some point. I go back to sort of the CompuServe AOL days. <gasps> oh, yeah. I remember. Remember downloading porn line by line? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was like gambling. Is it is it gonna be good? Is it gonna be good? Okay, you're to the you're to the navel. Oh, oh, where is it? Is it gonna load the full thing? Yep. Oh my god, it's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, I go back to Gloria Bram used to run a CompuServe board for BD, for BDSMers. Oh and um, I go back to that era. So a long time ago, I was using the net. And there was something called SM Board, which oh. uh, I think the guy's name was Bob who ran it. There's a lot of Bobs in A lot of Bobs. Yeah, I don't remember what his last <laughs> name was. And it was still to this day one of my favorite um, cruising mechanisms because it was so organized. Everything was perfectly well databased, but not so that it was locking you into things. Uh -huh. So you could really search well. And it was great. I loved it. It was called SM Board. Oh, I remember Yahoo groups. We were just talking about this because the whole OnlyFans thing and like they think it's I'm I'm not sure where it's going to end with the the OnlyFans, but like censorship is this and something you talk about a lot as well, and which kind of comes back to the DSM and just destigmatizing things like how did you get involved or how did you get your foot in the door on that if you're able to talk about it? So, yeah, I'm it's it's public knowledge at this point. We, we did it um, kind of um, subversively to impact the DSM, but I was partnered with a, a very famous kinkster leather man named Guy Baldwin, mm -hmm. who's also a very well-known therapist. Mm -hmm. And he is one of those therapists who pretty much all of his client base is kinky and always has been. And so people would kind of consider him the go-to guy for um, anybody who was looking for a therapist who was not judgmental about their kink, who was culturally competent around kink and fetish and all that kind of stuff. And so he kept this little tiny written list of therapists around the country. And it, I'm talking, it was seven, eight names for the entire country. Wow. And he would give this list to people and say, here's somebody in New York. Here's somebody in Los Angeles. Here's somebody in San Francisco. And um, uh, at, at one point, that got me interested in the psychotherapeutic aspect of, of kink and fetish and, and what we do. And at the time when the next revision of the DSM was about to happen. Which again is the Di Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of, oh God, my mental, brain. Mental disorders. Mental disorders. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. DSM. And um, uh, Guy and I thought it would be important to try to influence the decision about the next revision around this style of sexuality and to depathologize it. So what we did was we had therapists and academics and anybody with some sort of an expertise around this kind of quietly send letters and case studies and mm. things like that to the committee that oversaw the paraphilia section of the DSM. Yeah. And um, it was, there was no direct, oh, we know we absolutely did, did this when we got the result but we're 99.99% sure that we had an impact because when the diagnostic criteria came out, it essentially depathologized it and said, if this isn't a problem for you, mm -hmm. then it's not pathological. Yeah. If it doesn't, and, and, and I, I don't know the full, the full like 
verbiage, but it's pretty much unless it's literally getting in the way of you functioning as a normal person and it's making you unhappy, then you should look into it. Like if your foot fetish is making you happy and you're finding good feet and you are having a good relationship and it's not ruining your job or your workplace environment or your work ethic, you're fine. But if you've got this fetish that you literally can't do or get off to anything without a foot and it's really making you upset, then you might want to get some 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 help. And that's totally fine because therapy's good. <laughs> and we know that. You said that perfectly. That's exactly correct. Thanks. I mean, not not perfect. I mean, I'm sure there's some words I missed, no, but perfect. Yeah, yeah, well, no, you're perfect. <laughs> but I, I just uh, and so like, first of all, thank you. I mean, thank you for doing the work and thank you for educating. And just even if and that's that's kind of something I want to go into, too, is like the way in which you guys you didn't you didn't game the system, but you kind of have to game the system to stand out and be visible when it comes to anything sex related, especially today. But I can't even imagine back then, like how was sex treated back in back in the day i don't i don't mean to say that like as if you are not an older person but like you are you you you've been around the block a few times i'm older it's okay <laughs> you're you're allowed to say that i'm i'm an old guy uh i'm very very i don't want to be ageist i'm very proud of my age um yeah, if you think about, uh, I think it was, what, 1973 when homosexuality was depathologized? I want to say it's somewhere around there, I, yeah. I want to say that. Mm -hmm. and, um, so I came out before that. So technically, when I came out, I was sick. And then a few years later, I was fine. <laughs> Man, wow, full recovery. Isn't that Look amazing? Look at you. And you're still here. <laughs> so um, the, the way people view sexuality evolves over time, it still mm. seems like we have this pervasive puritanical view of sex generally uh it, it's it's kind of idiotic because we all know that everyone likes sex we know that everyone likes porn we uh, um you remember wouldn't that be here without sex there, no it's true <laughs> we wouldn't be we wouldn't be on the internet without porn Don't tell the puritans <laughs> i know <laughs> um what's that that from the musical uh uh which one i might know oh with the puppet I can't think of the name. Oh, 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 oh. Avenue Q. Avenue Q, See, yeah. See, puppets. See, puppets. I, I Everybody loves puppets. And, and um, uh, there's a whole song about porn. And, yeah, and the internet. internet is made for porn. Right. And it, the it, internet is really, really great for I, porn. I didn't know you could sing. I, I You know, I'm, I'm actually a puppet right now. I just have a hand <laughs> up my ass. Someone else is singing. And I love Avenue Q. Uh, I lo I've seen it four times. I loved it. I took my mom to it accidentally. Oh, we were visiting New York, my mom and I, because we did that back in the day, you know, just fun trips. And uh, we were looking for musicals last minute. We bought Wicked knowing we were going to go to Wicked. Yeah. But then we went into the like the scalper lines or whatnot. And I knew what Avenue Q was. I, I was, a, I'm still a huge musical fan, but my mom was like, oh, puppets like Sesame Street. That sounds great. And I was like, I think so. So I had a bit of a no, I, I kind of knew. But then when the puppet sex started happening, I kind of looked at her and I'm like, I'm sorry. But also she knew I was gay, yeah. so it wasn't a big deal, but she thought it was hilarious. It, and if somebody has not seen Avenue Q, oh, so go see Avenue Q. It's a brilliant musical. Go at least watch The Internet is for Porn on YouTube. I'm sure it exists by the cast. It's so good. Yeah, I'm sure it exists. Somewhere. And puppet sex is hilarious in its own it, it right. It is funny. <laughs> <laughs> you laugh a lot. It's good. Um, But first of all, what's your favorite musical I need to know now? Uh, a Little Night Music. <gasps> I've never... A little night music. It's a very, um, it's a Sondheim. It's oh. a very um, kind of a quiet musical compared to most of them. I've seen okay. it about twelve times. Okay, <laughs> live. Um, wow. And yeah, I really love it. It's got this beautiful score. It's a very small cast. It's a very simple set. Um, I think that's one of the things I love about it is it's not a grandiose musical. It's a very small, simple musical, and I just love it. I think Into the Woods is one of my favorites. Oh. Into the Woods and Wicked, probably. Yeah. But I'm trying to think. But only Into the Woods with Bernadette Peters. Yeah. Oh, my God. She, the she, original. Yeah, she rocks it. it. It's on. It was on Netflix for years, actually. Oh. It was on Netflix for years, the original cast, and it was so good. I used to own the VHS, um, and I didn't have any cleaner, so it just it, it ran out, you know? <laughs> Speaking of poppers, call back. Video head cleaner, you mean? Video head cleaner, yes. yes. I, I would clean my video heads all the time. <laughs> <laughs> or or uh, aromas or leather strippers or yeah. nail polish whatever the hell you call it yeah we, yeah we we once i i forget how we had to do it and I, I said no we like the smell the smell of dirty socks and uh -huh. it, this is a a, a, a a dirty sock smell yeah yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah especially back in the day 
Um, you know, we used to have to have all these euphemisms for poppers. And you still do. Yeah. You know, I was taught, I was on Twitch talking about the, the only, only fans debacle of like, are they going to remove porn indefinitely? And I was like calling it only friends going to the prom, <laughs> you know, prom being porn, yeah. only fans being only friend. Yeah. But it's just cause you have to do that. And it's not, I don't blame all platforms. I think some platforms do it better than others. Um, but like even Twitch, you got to be careful about what you talk about sex wise, because they just they just don't like they don't like it mentioning it sometimes and i i get it but at the same time like our stuff's marked as adult intentionally yeah. and on purpose so that we can have open discussions but even then like our auto mods that you know that people comment will sometimes block gay or uh, or like if it's like gay plus like you know how gays take back terms and yeah. we we use we use terms and we we call each other you know queer and apparently queers seen as bad. And I get that yeah. because it's used as a derogative still. Um, but it's, it's the, it's algorithms. It is. And, and it, it's ironic about queer because it's now become for, especially younger people. It is the identifier. Mm -hmm. um, they, they wrap themselves in this higher umbrella term of queer yeah. yep. and they're very, they've taken it back big time. And it's now, um, most of my young friends, that's how they identify. They don't necessarily gay or lesbian, but oh, I'm queer. Yeah. Well, and I like that too. Uh, I, and I like it because I, I get the, the trauma that could be mixed with terms. Um, and I, I respect if, if someone that's been bullied in the day, back in the day, you know, by that term when it was especially aggressive, like I get that. I was even someone that was like queer was a really bad term for me in high school, but like I look at it now and I'm like, I see how good it is and I see how inclusive it can be. And for myself, I like it too because I'm I'm a gay I'm a gay man. Yeah, I'm a gay cis guy. But like I'm also demi and I also, you know, I also understand that like uh, there are people that, that have different spectrums that they fall into and queer is just a nice inclusive term. Um, so I, I, I see that. But like algorithms and robots can't see that. And yeah. that scares me yeah. because obviously you, you're aware of like our lawsuit and like the YouTubes. And the second that I tag something as queer or I talk about sex in an open way, the robots say, well, we can't share that with anyone because it's inappropriate. And therefore, we're going to age restrict it because it's not for a general audience, which really, I mean, to fully circle this comes back to advertisers hold all the power on every one of these single one of these sites. Money. 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 It's the money. It's and the I, money. I get you want to get paid, Susan Wojcicki, but like so do the queer people that you're silencing who you've pretty much destroyed the 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 any metrics for like unless you're a designated chosen you know queer person on youtube you're, you're not making money and it's not just the money it's the big money it's the big money it's not it's mm -hmm. not the the small uh, well i'll say mom and pop business even if it's an online business that's you know pulling in maybe a little bit but it's who are the big advertisers and what do they want and what is the lowest common denominator that they will accept for content in order to monetize it, and it's really unfortunate. I, I do hope, having a little bit of technical knowledge around AI and stuff like that, I do hope the day comes when the robots can contextualize things. I know. I mean, because I know it's going to happen someday. The yeah. technology will be there. We already have. Um, we love our robot overlords. Overlords, yeah. if you're listening. <laughs> Hi. Hi. <laughs> but I, I am hoping that at some, day, some point they can contextual, contextualize. Um, uh, rather than just keyword, rather than mm -hmm. just, um, you know, pull something out and say, no, that's bad because you said that word. You know, but that's the sad part is context is important and key. We see from these people who are, you know, writing these algorithms and rules. But then the second that you contextualize it as a gay man and you're talking about gay sex, that's where it becomes age restricted. Straight sex is fine. Yeah. You can talk about penis and vagina stuff and that doesn't get flagged. But the second you talk about gays having sex or queer people having sex, that's where you get that red dollar sign, that, that, that age restriction. And I can guarantee you because we have plenty of anecdotal data that proves it. And it is so damaging because I know as a young gay boy, mm -hmm. I knew I was gay very young. I knew there was something different. I didn't have a word for it. Yeah. And if I, if I have the message sent to me that that's a bad thing, that's something you should restrict. That's something that shouldn't be seen. What's that saying to a young person coming out? And they're going to struggle more because of that. I know. And, and, and I have to be especially careful too. Cause like, I know that, that sex and kink is an adult thing, obviously, yeah. obviously, but kids are going to teens, especially are going to look for that because as their bodies change, as they go through puberty, they're going to have so many questions. And in my health class, I was given nothing but straight sex and a banana and a condom. 
And I was told gays, gays were going to get HIV and die. Um, I was told I was given every single fallacy and every single scare tactic and every single, you know, you're going to get warts everywhere. If you, if you jerk off, like it was just, it's so damaging. And I, I still unpack some of that today. I think we all do. We can't, you cannot, you cannot not be impacted by that. And Say that I, one I, more time. Cannot not. Be <laughs> yeah, I know that's double negatives. Um, you know, I went to Catholic grammar school. So I, I went got to Catholic school years, nine like, years. Yeah. Yep. Eight years for me. And so I got no messaging except don't talk about that. And, um, mm. and then I had to go in and do confession and make stuff up and I had impure thoughts and that's a whole long ridiculous story. Mm. Um, and, uh, it, even in high school. So we're talking, I was going into high school in 1968 Say that again to the microphone because I don't know. I, or if you want to, or if you got, if you backed away from the microphone on 10. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I went into high school in 1968 and, um, and I got almost no health education whatsoever around sex. It was just very basic biological, yeah. sterile BS mm-hmm. that didn't help a child at all. Yeah. And I'm lucky that I had people around me you know other kids that knew stuff (laughs) and that's how i learned that's that same that's how i learned um and i'm lucky as as a as a gay guy coming out and then getting into the bar scene like i didn't do anything too i did dangerous things now looking back at it i did things that were not safe oh me too but but that was because i didn't have the know-how the education um and i think history repeats itself like as I'm sure you had some dangerous things because of stigmatization and lack of knowledge, I did the same thing. And I'm sure kids and teens are going to continue to do that as, as we get more and more strict around family friendly things. Um, I mean, social media is this powerhouse, but it is a powerhouse that is run by these, these robots and companies that just want to make money. I mean, Oh, I've a case in point. Like I know that RT usually comes at the beginning of the episode, but like, um, (laughs) My tea for today, like we were on Instagram. We finally got access to uh, shopping on Instagram, which is this whole thing. Instagram changed the posting button. Like they changed the button that everyone uses on a daily basis to post their stories or their, their, you know, just their Instagram things. They changed it to a shopping button. Like they moved the, the post button and replaced it with the shopping button because they know, they know that people's brains work and they are so inclined to push that, that part of the app. And it was done intentionally and everyone was wow. upset anyway, but we got access to the shop, which is cool. You know, go, go support local businesses and, and creators. Like if you want, Oh, today's sponsor is us. Uh, go check out our shop, whether it's on Instagram or not safe use offer code Watts for 10% off all the things. Uh, that aside though, we got access to the shop. We started putting stuff up in the shop, hoping that, you know, sales would be helped. And within the first like 30 minutes of posting things, we got flagged for inappropriate adult content. Can you guess what that content was, Race? No, I can't. <laughs> it was a shirt that said naughty on it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> naughty. We have naughty. a shirt that just it's rope that and I I I feel like you've seen it before. And if, if you don't I remember, that's it. totally fine. But like it's rope for the listeners, it's just rope in the form that says naughty. N-A-U-G-H-T-Y. I have that t-shirt. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, we've probably given you. <laughs> I have that I'm sure, t-shirt. I'm sure. But it was flagged for adult content. And then I went immediately into the 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 shop, you know, the shop on Instagram. And I, I clicked the little shop button. Um, and the first thing that comes up is like Timoteo jockstraps and male underwear and thongs and shirts that say, fuck me, daddy. Like, uh. why am I the problem? So... <laughs> Adult content, sex. First of all, sex education is not porn. Can we can we agree on that? Absolutely, and but, and but porn can be sex education. Correct. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say there are ways to talk to younger people about sex that aren't overly graphic, that yeah. aren't overly um, specific, but still convey what younger people need to know to make some good decisions around their own health, their own physical and mental health, mm-hmm. um, to make sure that sex is a good thing for them. See, that's the problem. Society doesn't want sex to be a good thing. They want it to stay dirty. And, I mean. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I see. You know what I, I mean. I do. I, I just give you a hard time. <laughs> but, but they want to, and I think because that constantly drives the, the erotic innuendo around advertising, et cetera, mm. because it's this kind of, 
unspoken thing. And I can talk around it, but I can't talk directly to it. We all see stuff on TV every single day that's highly sexualized. It's subtext sometimes. But yeah, and, and but that's, advertisers are making money with that. I remember the New York Times called me and they wanted to interview me about why, uh, I believe it was, I want to say Louis Vuitton, but I may be wrong. It was some brand okay. and, um, I, that had done a show to debut all of their new attache cases and briefcases and things like that. And they had all the models handcuffed to the, um, the if, I hope I got the story right, to the uh, things they were buying. And they had, I believe, models tied to the poles in the gallery. And as you walked into the gallery for the opening, a woman in very sort of dominatrix attire would take a crop and just lightly touch your butt. Whoa. Yes, as you walked oh. into the gallery. <gasps> I hope I got this right. Um, I, by the way, if Louis Vuitton did do this, it's rocking. I think it's amazing. But they, they wanted to say, well, why is BDSM imagery coming into mainstream advertising? I mean, come on, Louis Vuitton. And this is what year, probably? Um, this would have been early 80s. Okay. No, so wait, like, no, no, I take that back. Oh. This, was, um, this would have been about 94, 95. Okay, yeah. still early in the the kink consent and yes. discussion around that. So, like, I'm not going to fault Louis Vuitton, but also I'm going to give them points for like going on a limb and being sex positive. Yes, yeah, and and the the um, reporter from the New York Times was very specific that as the people entered in, it, they didn't get hit. It was a it was a touch. Yeah, and they were so they were very conscious that somebody may not want to be hit. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, yeah. Um, but I I think that we all know sex sells. Yep. We all know, everyone knows something about it. Even kids that don't know anything know there's something there. Yep. Why not give them the truth? I, because, you, because you can't handle the truth. No, <laughs> um, because we, we, we think that kids and teens aren't seeing this already, but they are. And if they're not seeing it through, you know, the WB drama that they're watching, be it Smallville. Oh, Smallville. That's not on anymore. Wow. Showing my age. Um, <laughs> Good show, though. Teen Wolf, which also is not anymore. Shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> through whatever t- teeny bopper show or movie, like they're seeing all this and the statistics behind it are that, you know, teens, the STIs are on the rise, which that's a whole other story yeah. as we come out of the, the pandemic. Um, but it's just, I don't understand why outside of religion, abstinence, and just wanting to shelter kids or think of the children that we keep seeing in media, pride, we had a whole episode on that, and just how thinking of the children doesn't lead to good censorship. It always leads to bad censorship that is overstepping its bounds. We look at the SESTA-FOSTA. We look at these algorithms that try to make everything family-friendly. Who are we making it friendly for? Advertisers. But, like, why? You know? Yeah, you know, I I've tried to dissect that, and and it, it's absolutely an Americanism, but it's also, it's it's kind of universal. There, mm. Sex is suppressed in a lot of cultures, even a lot of fairly progressive European cultures. They're open about it, but there's still an aspect of it that's not talked about, or you, it's, you kind of skirt around it. Yeah, you skirt around it, but in in our country, the United States. It we really do unfortunately pay homage to our puritanical roots, yeah. and um, I, I don't know exactly why that's the case. There have been lots of academics who've studied this, and even they don't come to a specific conclusion as to why we are the way we are. Mm. But we are, as a culture, I think pretty sex negative. Agreed. Oh, no, I agree. Well, I, I'm I don't just agree. I enthusiastically <laughs> agree because we see all of the sex negative legislation that's really just backed by these puritanical right wing at times politicians and religious leaders like they're the ones funding most of these and and the fact that we don't kind of like blow a whistle and say that seems like a bad thing or that seems a little problematic or fishy really really concerns me there is an entire arm of i'll I'll say politics but it's Mm. i don't mean specific politics but just a certain demographic demographic of people that try to control things and the way they can control best is by othering people. Yep. So when you make sex bad, you're othering the people that like sex. Mm-hmm. When you make you know gay bad, you're othering the people that are gay. Um, we, we look at the way the right wing is trying to do that with trans people right yeah. now. It's, it's, it's othering, and that's how they control people because if they can get people to buy in that the others are bad somehow, but you're good because you're not like those others— 
they get political buy-in. Oh, I get it. Well, that's how stigma kind of plants a seed. Oh, plants a seed. Oh my. <laughs> um, but in a bad way. Uh, stigma is very insidious that way. You 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 talk about the sex that's happening from other people, or you talk about the sex that's happening behind closed doors because it's so bad. Even though who cares what people are doing in their own fucking household, so long as it's consensual and yep. you know being done properly and safely. But it's it's that othering that's just incredibly again insidious it's 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 so it's a scare tactics for me i hate it i hate it and it creeps into our own kink scene that's mm. what happens i which which is even more insidious sometimes you have one kinky person talking about another kinky person and in spite of the fact that this other person's kink is entirely consensual mm -hmm. they're having a good time no one's damaged from it they judge it Mm -hmm. And they stigmatize it. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that all the time. And um, it's just so unhelpful. <laughs> and and kind of circling back to like the whole reason you're here, which is we were doing research on like curious kinks and, and where to find them. The next Harry Potter book. No, kidding. <laughs> canceled. We just got canceled because we mentioned the Harry Potter. Um, but in that survey, the anonymous thing I sent out, we had literally 1,300 people, I think, or 1,350 at the end of it. And so many of them, were like I look I read through every one of them race wow. and so many of them were some of them were paragraphs like pages but almost all the really big ones would start with well you know I just need to preface this with like I know it's a little odd or like I, I promise I'm only doing it safely and I know this is kind of weird like everyone had to had to justify it somehow and yeah. I was just like why do you I feel so bad I just want to like give you a, a hug consensually because like there's so much stigma and internalized like kink phobia because of how their people are raised. And I just want to be like, no, you're okay. And you're valid. And like, it's okay. So long as you're being safe and like consensual and it's not harming you. If right. it's not harming you, it's not a problem. People qualify their sex all the time. I do it too though. Yeah. You know, I, we all do. We, we all do. We are acculturated to qualify and to preface, as you said, mm -hmm. it, um, when we talk about our own sexuality, uh, I was just talking to somebody the other day who really has a, a you know significant foot fetish, and I said that's a really common fetish. That's a really common kink. It's so common. It's so common, and um, and it, it crosses all orientations, all genders, mm -hmm. etc. It's so actually heavier on the the straight males, but that's a whole other conversation. Uh, I, that makes sense, and yeah. plus, women have great footwear. They do. They do. When I women were empowered back in the day, when like magazine covers were heels, that's when foot fetishes took off because, and people think, sorry, anecdotes, but people <laughs> think because STIs were on the rise back then, very, really bad ones. And so people turned and used their sexual energies to other prominent body parts, for instance, the foot. Yeah. And some people think that like your neuro, your neurological, like, uh, how your brain's put together, the feet is right next to the sexual part of your brain. Oh. And they think that there's a bit of like, Neuro, neuro, I don't know the words here, but like they think there's a commonality there because they share that same pathway. That's interesting. I have not heard that before. Anyway, that your friend with the very awesome foot fetish. He had this great foot fetish. Um, he happens to be heterosexual, <laughs> speaking of <laughs> and, um, and he was talking about really being into his girlfriend's feet and that. You love and, that. But, and he is a very open kinkster and even he qualified mm. that kink and fetish and um, which I found telling about our culture that here is somebody who's openly kinky, navigates within the kinky community, and was still qualifying one of his kinks. But you know what? This entire podcast, we've been qualifying everything. You know, we don't we don't want kids to be doing kinky things, but they will. We don't want to talk about anything without talking about consent. Hey, Louis Vuitton, you were hitting people, but it was a light tap. Like yeah. we need to qualify these things because if we don't, then people get bent out of shape about something that really has nothing to do with them. Yeah. You know, were you hit by Louis Vuitton? No. Well, maybe I wanted to be, you know, but it's just, it's an interesting part of our culture where we have to vilify, qualify, and just, just go out of our way to make things an issue sometimes. We do. And I think that we have a culture that wants us to be right. And if somebody, <laughs> oh and if somebody is doing something that doesn't sync with how we function or think that they're somehow wrong rather than yeah. they're just different. Call, call out to our call out culture podcast a, a few months back with Stefan. That one's a really insightful one for that kind of talk. That but was a really good one, by the way. Oh, thanks. That was really good. I'm actually curious um, to kind of 
to act, or at least like go back in time a little bit. Like, was the was the culture or was like the kink scene always so hmm, polarizing about some things in such a way that like, and here I'll qualify. Um, were we always so scared to talk about our kinks openly? Or are we a little bit more open nowadays, would you say? We're way more open than we okay. were. Okay. Yeah, no. Um, when I first came into into kink, which you're talking 1973, 70, 72, 73, yeah. Um, it was absolutely underground subculture. Mm-hmm. It was never talked about openly in the public, ever. Um, you went to the bar, you went to the club, you went to the party, um, you gathered with your other kinky friends mm-hmm. um, in the... And it was also v- very much demarcated by by um, uh, orientation. So mm. the, the the gay leather scene was very different than the heterosexual BDSM scene, which was very and and the the lesbian scene to some extent crossed over with the gay men's, but it also had its own scene. Thank God for lesbians. I love lesbians. I I some of my, I honestly a lot of lesbians when I was first coming out into leather were the ones who kind of. Um, made me feel good about myself. Yeah, and drag queens. Mm-hmm. It was drag queens and lesbians, and it was a lot of other gay men too. But but they validated me in very specific ways. You're a leather man. Be proud of it, and they and own it. Aww. And so I was this little seventeen year old underage kid going into leather bars, and they were really good to me. They were really good to me. Mm. Yeah, yep. and and they were good to us through through many things, AIDS, the epidemics, like if not for the lesbians and, and obviously drag queens, but if not for the lesbians, like I don't know where our culture would be for gay men specifically. I remember a, a friend of mine, she was a lesbian down in Los Angeles taking care of a friend of mine. Mm. And I called her an angel. I said, I, and you know, I'm, I don't believe in angels, mm. um, but I called her an angel because she was taking care of a friend of mine who eventually did die. And she was at his side every single day and she still worked a full-time job and um, she just stepped in and did it because it needed to be done. And I, yeah, to, I, I think the world of the lesbian community generally, Yeah. but there is something about at least the lesbian culture I came out on that felt like they dive in and do what needs to be done. And that not just caring for people, but also part of the community. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the very first, um, uh, book I read, I think, was the Lesbian SM Safety Manual. That was the very first kinky non. Yeah, is it good? It's good. Yeah, okay. it's quite good. Um, and um, so I, I actually recommend it because I was able to translate the the lesbianism <laughs> to to gay ma- to gay maleism, and um, it was the very first guide that I had to how to do BDSM safely. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, isn't that cool. I and honestly, I'm trying to think of like I've read plenty of books, like the Leather Boy Handbook. I've read plenty of puppy books, which Arf and Wolf. Those are the names of the books. Um, I'm curious, what what other books would you recommend to an audience? I always get asked for good books, and I'm I wish I was a, a more avid reader. I I read the Topping Book and the Bottoming Book, uh, anything, Ethical Slut. Yeah, anything by Janet Hardy or Darcy I, Easton oh, is just Janet. Yeah, oh. I adore her. Um, we're friends as I am with Dossie, so I, I qualify that by saying, but <laughs> but it is, uh, and the thing I love about Janet uh, is that we intellectually can disagree and we do it in this really adult And way. we have a conversation, we right? We have a conversation because we do not always agree, she and I sometimes. Most, 99% of the time we do, but every now and then we will butt heads, but it's this very friendly intellectual disagreement and it's just, yeah. I happen to adore Janet Hardy. But, um, so yeah, the Topping and Bottoming book, um, I will, I'm going to qualify th- <laughs> these suggestions because I founded Daedalus Publishing Company, which along with Janet Hardy's Greenery Press at the time, mm-hmm. we were the only two publishing book publishing companies that published nonfiction books about kinky sex. Queer and gay and kinky. Yeah, okay. and kinky in particular. So um, uh, Ties That Bind by Guy uh, Baldwin. I just... I. Uh, I know I'm a bad gay. Bye, gay. Um, I actually just bought it, though. It's on my shelf. I haven't read it yet. It's literally looking at me right next to Leather Sex and... Oh, that's a good one. The Erotic Engine. Oh, I don't know someone, that Someone one. sent me that one. I don't know that one. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll show you my library okay. here after <laughs> <laughs> But, um, and again, I, I, I Guy is my ex, so I, I, I'm somewhat um, biased. Way to qualify it. But yeah, <laughs> I'll qualify everything, right? Um, but 
very few people have tossed around in their brain intellectually this kinky stuff we do as much as he has. And remember, he's also been a therapist who has been in practice for decades working almost entirely with kinky people. He gets kinky sex, mm-hmm. both on a practical and a sort of inside people's head level. I believe And that. so his essays uh, are really good that are, that are combined. Uh, I am... I'm actually partly responsible for Ties That Bind because not only did I publish really? it, I'm, I was the publisher. I yeah. didn't know that. Yes. It was, so I published Learning the Ropes, my book. And um, it book. was a, it, it's a good book. Yeah. Especially for beginners. And it's, um, it did very well and it was self-published. And then Guy had all these essays and writings and whatever. And I was just getting into word processing. And so I took all of his papers and I banged them all into a, into a thing and it became we said, we need to publish this. And I think Ties That Bind was the second book I published after my own wow. book. And um, and we did his leather contest guide, um, uh, Consensual Sadomasochism by, um, uh, oh gosh, that's terrible. I'm blanking on the names. And it's all good. Yeah, People they, can Google. They were really good friends. Um, <laughs> uh, so I recommend those. Uh, you talked about ethical slut. I think the ethical slut is important for anybody who navigates in the sexual world or relationship world at all. Agreed. Agreed. And they've, they've updated it. I think they're on volume three or four probably at this rate. I know it's been updated and, and relatively recently too. So um, I, I think the world of that, that book in particular, I think it is a baseline book for everybody to understand relationships generally. And Um, great for polyamory, regardless of what, what you practice, the insight into how they talk about polyamory is just, fantastic and fascinating. I think that it does just such a good job of not only giving you the definitions and the background of things, but providing perspective, like context, again, context, contextualizing someone's experience through their relationships and how they view someone. It was the first time I ever saw the word compersion used. Ah, yes. And when you, when you talk about compersion, which is pretty much the opposite of jealousy, you know, celebrating your partner, going out having fun and coming back and just supporting them and not being jealous. Um, when you, Put that into context. When you when you really dissect it, you're like, oh, that makes so much sense. Why wouldn't there be a, a, a feeling opposite of jealousy? Yeah, we we know jealousy so well, but why wouldn't there be an opposite to that? We want our partners and the people that we're intimate with in our lives to enjoy all these other things in life. We want them to in, in, enjoy their sports. We want them to enjoy their their poker games. We want them to enjoy ev- all these different things in life. Why would we not want them to enjoy? not just sex with other people, potentially. Mm-hmm. By the way, I, that doesn't mean that you can't be monogamous. I think that monogamy is yeah. an absolute valid choice. Monogamy, monogamish, whatever you yeah. choose, so long as you're being smart and happy and consensual about it. In fact, speaking of Janet Hardy, we just had this discussion, she and I, and uh, I had posted something on social media, uh, which was a little bit harsh toward people who were monogamous. Oh. No, monogamous. And she pushed back saying, oh, my you know, being the author of Ethical Slut, I constantly have to make sure that people understand that being monogamous is totally cool. Oh yeah. It's a choice and you should get that choice. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, I lost tra- my track of thought. What it's all I good. Doing? We were talking about monogamy, monogamish, compersion. Oh, compersion. I just love that Janet stepped in and said, well, by the way, I wrote this book. I don't know if you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. She, she is. And because she's one of the two authors, she constantly, I think is, it's assumed that she's always pushing polyamory, that she's always, oh, put, you know, and the opposite is true. She, she says it is a choice, Yes, but mon, you know, monogamy is absolutely another valid choice. And mm-hmm. she always has to defend that, which, um, so I, I understand some sensitivity around that, but the concept of compersion is, I think, incredibly important, even if you're going to be monogamous. So for example, you're monogamous, but your, your partner has a really close friend. Yeah. They may not be having sex. Mm-hmm. They may go off and watch movies together, or they may be gaming buddies, yeah. or they may be whatever. And They're you should with take, all the joysticks, right? All the joysticks, and we should we should love that they love that. Mm-hmm. And so I think compersion translates not just to people enjoying intimacy in that way with other people, but but really enjoying their lives fully. Oh yeah, Christopher doesn't want to touch a video game, but he loves that I do it because then I, he doesn't have to. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see Christopher playing video games for some reason. It doesn't, well, if it you'd does. like to watch our Twitch channel, there's definitely lots of... I've, I've made him play a few games okay. before. It's, yeah. it's hilarious, 
frustrating for I've him, I'm sure. Play games. But I hilarious. Just, I, yeah, okay, I have to, I have to watch. We that. played this goose game where you play as a goose, but you're obnoxious and like annoying the, a town of people. Mm-hmm. Like you're ruining their their lives by being a goose that's like stealing their shit or scaring them. It's it's fun. Okay, it's fun. I'll I'll send you the vod. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, all that to say, like you know, compersion's great. Being able to understand that people just work differently. We all work differently. We're all tuned a different way. I think one of the things that I think kink and sexuality, when you dive into it and you live within a a, scene. a, a community of it, a scene, sure. is that we understand that everybody's unique. True. No two people are alike. True. I think in, in more mainstream erotic context, people th- kind of categorize everybody simply yeah. as, you know, you like this. Well, in kink, it could be so many things that, I think we understand that everybody's unique. We still tend to judge sometimes, which is not good, mm-hmm. but I do think that we respect people's uniqueness more than some others might. I agree. I agree to that. Yeah. Would you say that, would you say we were always so open kind of looking back at history as well as, as we talk about sex? I mean, there's, there's so much to unpack there, obviously, but like, no, we were not. <laughs> we, um, it, it, always judgmental. We were, we were judgmental. What, here's what, I really found offensive early on when I came out. I came out pretty much with the closet doors swinging pretty wide open quickly. I also always chose professions for the most part where I could be openly gay and out. Mm. Um, I was able to kind of live a 24-7 leather life for for a lot of my life. Uh, I was working in gay bars, kinky gay bars for for that matter. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was a dancer, long story, but I could be very gay. (laughs) Um, But... I would see even other kinky people out in the public in public and they would cross me like on the sidewalk and not even acknowledge me. Oh yeah. It was like, they didn't want, I would see them in the mine shaft in New York doing all sorts of things Uh because in the mine shaft, you did all sorts of things. And then I would see them out in public in the streets of New York, for example, and we would just walk by each other, even though I just saw them doing amazingly twisted things with somebody for two hours. How deep is that mine shaft? It was a pretty, <laughs> de- it was a pretty deep mine shaft. You want you want to hear my mine shaft story? Please. Oh so my God. I I Do I? I was um I was a dancer. I'm, I just moved to New York. I literally dropped off my luggage moving there and went, made a beeline for the mine shaft that night. Um, it's a famous gay sex club for those that don't know what it was and I think, um, I think they got they got that they probably yeah, figured that out they yeah got that. and I I arrive at the door and the I was pretty clean cut I believe I had to shave for a dance role that I got so I didn't have my normal facial hair and I looked pretty young and preppy and so um the doorman wouldn't let me in <gasps> he kept very nice he was pleasant and he kept saying are you sure you know where you are <laughs> and this went on for 30 minutes and finally he relented and let me in the door and about an hour later i'm d- deep in the bowels of <laughs> i'm deep in the bowels of of the mine shaft and let's say i'm rather deep in someone uh-huh. and uh he walks by and he laughs and he leans over into my ear and i said I guess you know where you are. <laughs> and he felt so, his name was Patrick. He, and I, I actually met him again many years later and he felt so bad. I guess I shouldn't say this cause it, it, he shouldn't have done it, but he never charged me to get in when he was at the door again. He felt so bad about giving me such a hard time. Shout out to Patrick. Yeah. Shout out to Patrick. I, if you're listening, Patrick, I, I think he's still around. Oh, and yeah. Mine Shaft is not still around, is it? No, Mine oh. Shaft is long, close. It's part of gentrified New York now. It was oh. literally the meatpacking district. To go into the door of the Mine Shaft, there was ha- beef sides sorry. of beef hanging I'm on sorry. hooks. Meatpacking, really? Yes. That was not. That was that intentional? What, did they intentionally put oh. themselves in the meatpack? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I never thought of it that way. But it was in the meatpacking district of New York, and you, you, the door to the mine shaft was right by where the like sides of beef would be hanging on hooks. I mean, oh you, my god, yeah, it was literally the meatpacking district. Speaking of sex, and I'm sure the mine shaft, there was tons of it, lots of it. Did you, or how do you see us coming out of COVID? Because you've been through. You've been through, obviously, the the HIV AIDS epidemic, and you've seen how something can ravage a community, especially around sex and touching and 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 whatnot. But like post COVID, I'm are you seeing similarities there? I'm seeing some similarities, but a lot of dissimilarities. Um, I think because 
COVID impacted everyone. It didn't have any stigma attached to it in terms of... Oh, that's yeah, true. That's it, true. HIV was absolutely seen as a gay men's disease, regardless of the fact that it, it, um, it impacted people from all walks of life. Mm. It just was um, a lot of gay men. So it, it was very much stigmatized in a way that COVID isn't mm. because everyone is potentially... Um, uh, you know, has the potential to be infected by COVID. Yeah. Um, unless they're vaccinated. Well, um, and even, even then, then, and we even know, then, we, we know yeah. some people, please wear your masks if you're indoors and enlarging, like if you're going to the drag shows, please be careful. That's true. That's true. And get vaccinated if yeah. you can. And get vaccinated. <laughs> I know. Freaking. Um, yeah, yeah. It will, it will say. Don't tell us you're vaccinated. If you're not vaccinated, get vaccinated. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I, I see some dissimilarities. The similarities are that especially in terms of adjusting our sexuality, mm. uh, I remember people uh, saying, well, how do I play with a mask on? Because I know people that were actually in- Hi, I do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think kinksters were able to adapt more quickly, much like we did in HIV. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, when, when AIDS first came on the scene, it was the leather community that often showed people how to have alternative forms of sex mm. that didn't in involve fluid exchange. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think it's that dissimilar that, or that, that kinksters were able to adapt around COVID, playing with masks, remote control devices. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, kink, you know, hot sexting, all this kind of stuff that Skype. we would do. Skype. We, yeah. We've been doing that for years. We've been doing that for years. And um, uh, I also think kinksters are used to... Uh, play that's more remote we tend to bump into people that are from other cities that we see in a profile online and we tend to you know start relationships and very often they're on cam or phone or text very early on so uh, i think there's some similarities i do think that we're coming out of it pretty quickly perhaps too quickly mm. and uh, i think that the the current rise in in cases is probably going to give some people some rightful pause to say, maybe I need to slow down a little bit and decide how I'm going to re-enter this world of sexuality in a way that feels good for me and everybody around me. Oh, I agree. I mean, and and, and we kind of talked about this too without using names like, I know that STIs are are also on the rise because we, we are coming out of this and we think that we're all fine and good, but like we still need to be careful about obviously using condoms when we need to use condoms. Like PrEP is not a one-stop shop to stop everything. Um, but I know people that have been, you know, testing positive for things and, and some of them a bit more on the younger side. And I'm just like asking questions and being like trying to provide information. And they're like, well, you know, I was exposed to this. And so if this, you know, I just got my test done and so I'll know immediately and I'll be good. And I was like, no, no, no. Some of these things take weeks to get tests back. And some of these things you don't get symptoms for weeks. Like there's, there's so much more we still need to do about kind of, I guess, circling back to the whole conversation about sex ed is just like, I feel like I need to just refresh myself on, on STIs sometimes because I, I don't even know, like if I'm playing with someone, I know what to look for just to, to be careful and safe for myself. But at the same time, I don't know that they know. No, absolutely. I, in fact, I just had a discussion um, with a doctor who um, I had to tell them what the latest treatment protocols were for um, oh a certain, gosh. because it had recently changed. Um, around gonorrhea in particular, they sure. the actual treatment protocol has changed. They've doubled the shot. They're not doing a pill. It's a, it's a long story. But um, one of the th I've been kind of a champion. I was a, a, an AIDS activist, for lack of a better way of putting it, a safer sex advocate sure. early on in the HIV epi epidemic. And I've always worked a lot around STI education and prevention. And the thing that I if there's one thing I could do and just magically, you know, wave a wand and say, this is going to happen. It's that, Oh, I like that. <laughs> and that's just how my wand, my wand would sound. I like that. Um, is, and I'll give an example. A friend of mine had, has, has had sex once since the pandemic began to wind down mm -hmm. and got an STI. Yep. Once. Yeah. Very first time. And, I think that people assume that because they don't have sex a lot, that they shouldn't get tested and they shouldn't worry about it. I want to normalize everybody getting tested on a regular basis. I recommend quarterly for sexually active people. Yeah. Um, at the minimum for someone twice a year, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and 
not only should it be normalized, but we should champion and elevate people that are openly doing this as really um, doing something really important for the community. Mm -hmm. it, because we, I remember when people would line up at the clinic and they'd be kind of sheepishly lining up in front of the clinic. They so, still do. They so still do. I know. Castro. And they shouldn't. Yeah. They should be proud that I'm here to get tested. Or if they caught something, I'm here to get treated because that's what you do. You go fix it. And, you know, you, you that's what you do. So we need to normalize both testing and um, and openly talking about STIs and treatment. And if we don't, it's going to continue to be this underground thing and percolate more and and be, a, be more of a problem than it needs to be. We need yeah. to work on it. Oh, I, I absolutely agree here. This is my magical uh, sound. Yeah, no, go get tested, okay? Even if even if you were doing, even if you were in the pandemic, getting tested, you know what? If you haven't had sex, you can still learn a lot about your body, and maybe you maybe you have other things you need to get tested. Get get a checkup. Oh, and one other thing: very often people will go to their primary care doctor, and they will be tested, for example, for syphilis because it's in the blood, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they don't get swabbed because mm. a lot of doctors don't swab in their off in their GP offices. They just don't as a matter of course. Wow. So you you may you either want to find a doctor who will swab you so mm -hmm. they can test for those kinds of things, um, orally, anally, vaginally, whatever you need. Um, or you need to make some regular appointments at a clinic and and become familiar with that clinic so that you can easily and comfortably go there and feel like this is just part of my normal healthcare. Well, yeah, and that and like I'm very, I'm very picky and choosy about who I, you know, kiss or make out with or even just sex. And like, since the pandemic's kind of opened up, I've even had people that like opened up with me, like they might've been exposed. And I kind of, and I was like, okay, good. Thank you so much. Like, first of all, points, so many points for, for being open and being yep. able to text me about that. Cause I know how vulnerable that that can be, yep. but we should normalize and celebrate that first and foremost. Second of all, kind of going back to the main point of like, people don't know how STIs work. They didn't, they didn't know how to properly communicate what they had or where it was because I wasn't even dealing with the bits that, that they got, you know, exposed at. And again, I'm, I'm still going to, you know, I'm still doing my work of getting checked up and making sure I'm good and, and working through that. But like, we need to know how our bodies work. We need to, we need to know how our bodies work. Cause yeah. if I, if I hadn't asked more questions, if I had been someone that they had had sex with in a very, 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 very intimate way. I, I could have been, you know, misled or, or I'm, maybe I would have freaked out because I don't know what that means. And because I'm not, I'm obviously going to react in a, a safe and like, it's all good. It's not a death sentence. We're fine if it is what it is. But like other people, they don't know what that means. Oh, they, they, they might overreact and then, and very much like scare my friend who was just trying to be open and honest. They might now have a bad taste in their mouth if they ever got an STI and they don't want to talk about it because people might judge them you know and if you don't talk about it or you judge somebody for saying oh i might have exposed you or oh just casually i went to the clinic oh i tested positive for something or even just normalizing in conversation oh i went to the clinic today to get tested just to make sure i'm all good yeah you know if you react I in like a really that. negative way then what happens is somebody who does get something at some point yeah maybe they don't get treated maybe exactly. they don't get maybe they don't Tell the five people that they just had sex with who now might have it themselves. We have to normalize it and make it okay. Agreed. 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 You know what? Have testing parties. Go get tested with a friend. Celebrate each other. Grab yourself a nice breakfast and just go go to a clinic. No. I, I mean, I, I used to I, I do that with a friend. Did you really? Yes. No, I, I we, used to go have, we used to go to have <laughs> breakfast. At, like we, we, I would get, to, I get tested quarterly. That's just always been As my you protocol. Should. And we would go to breakfast and then we would, we would have appointments at, at the clinic to go get tested together. I love that. Yeah. It was a friend thing we did. Oh yeah. And the testing with friends. I, and, and you know what? That seems like not only because time, I think we're a little bit over, but that's fine because we've had a lovely conversation, but I think that is what we will end on today. We always like to give someone like things to try after mm -hmm. listening to the podcast, go get tested. Yeah. Go have a test date, you know, get a good friend that you're super open with, have conversations, get tested, learn some new things about STIs so you can better equip yourself. And absolutely go follow this lovely being here. Race, can you please tell everyone where they can find you on the internet? Uh, you can reach me through my very badly updated site, Bannon.com. <laughs> and um, if you just search for me on, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, 
Race Bannon. Race Bannon. I'm there, and 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 not the cartoon character, but me. I always liked Johnny <laughs> Quest, though. Yeah. I loved Johnny Quest back in the day. Do you know that's how I got my name? I didn't. I'm gonna. I'm my legal name is Richard Bannon. Oh, I was so I was born Richard Bannon, and when Johnny Quest came out, um, I thought this was really cool. My dad is Richard. I wanted to be not a second Richard, uh-huh. so I made that nickname stick, and Aww. I've been called Race since I was very very young. So it's so that's how I got my name. Well, thank you for being you, Race. Thank you for sharing uh, so many heartfelt stories, anecdotes, and just helping us have another lovely conversation here on What's Your Safe Word. If you want to find me, I don't know how you found this podcast, but this is What's Your Safe Word. My name's Amp. You can find me over at Pup Amp on all the things or What's the Safe Word on YouTube and Twitch. We go live three times a week. We have fun. We have conversations and we just play games and get silly as you should if you're getting sex. You know, we should have fun, be silly and enjoy what you're doing. I agree. Race, do you have any last words for people before you go? Uh, could be anything. Uh, could be a joke. Grapefruit. Grapefruit. <laughs> and we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much, Race. That was fun. I was looking at your screen and I was, I, I, I don't know why this is funny, but I saw I'm a top zero requests. But if you really were a top, there'd be a lot more than zero requests. <laughs> so, so Race is looking at our stream deck um, for Twitch streaming. We oh. have it, redemptions. Um, so one oh. is I'm a top, so you can be the the top of the night. Like you, you use points, and then like you're the you get to choose the safe word and be VIP. It's anyone could be a top in our channel. You know, you just gotta I, have the right amount of points. I love it. So it's a very versatile channel. Yeah, no, we're we're very accepting. We let people in through the door. Um, <laughs> they know exactly where they are. <laughs> I love it.